Tonight I'm going to start at Philippians 2. Philippians 2, huh? Do I have a title? Yes, I do. Uh, Mind over matters. Mind over matters. And uh, for a subtopic, what were you thinking? And I'm going to dig a little bit deeper into uh, what Pina talked about earlier with the uh, the state of the mind and how we have the mind of Christ. I'm going to go in and kind of dissect it just a little bit. I'm, I think that I'm only going to be able to touch the surface, and we're going to deal with a lot of um, fundamental scriptures and bring out some points that I, I got some new stuff from. Uh, Philippians 2 and 5, and then we're going to go to Romans 12 and 1, which you all also read before. But Philippians 2 and 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And Romans 12 and 1 says, and this one is the Living Bible Translations. And so, dear brothers, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice, holy, the kind that he can accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is that too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all you do and think. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. And that's very much in line with uh, how she says how we have to align our mindset with God's mindset in order for us to really be happy and at peace with God and really say that we are actually agreeing with God and walking with God. We like to quote that scripture, how can two walk together except they be agreed? But uh, pretty much... uh, That's God's child throughout the entire Bible is that you're not getting my point of view. You're not getting my mindset. And that's the mind that he wants us to have. So I wanted to deal with um, the mind from a scriptural standpoint and how it was used in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So if you bear with me, I have a a little bit of a definition and um, things to break down the word mind. Scripturally, the mind is the center of the intellectual activity or mankind's faculty of cognition. It is described by several terms, respectively, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The King James actually uses about six different terms, Hebrew terms, for the word mind. The primary word is a word uh, called lab, which means heart. In addition, the word nephesh, which is rendered or translated soul as mind you'll see it in Deuteronomy 18 and 6 and it refers to the desire of a man's mind the desire of your mind and in Genesis where it refers to the mind in the sense of a decision or a judgment the word ruach which is spirit in the Old Testament is rendered mind and it speaks of a mind being grieved it is also used, uh, labab, yester, which is imagination, which I'll deal with in, uh, toward the end of the lesson. 
and pay, mouth or speech. So we have this term just in the Old Testament, soul, mind, spirit, imagination, speech. This is all of these words are really taken to deal with the mind. The New Testament has a similar situation because of the large number of terms which are used to describe mankind's faculty of cognition. As in the Old Testament, the term heart, which is cardia, is sometimes used to represent the concept mind. Matthew 13 speaks of understanding with the heart. Not so much the brain, but you understand with your mind. We can get it confused over here in Western civilization because we, we've broken down the, the brain and the, the, the left side of the brain, the right side of the brain, which does the function and all the cognition. But the Bible actually says that all the reasoning and the cognition and how you take stuff in and you dissect it and you think upon it, you meditate upon it and you act upon it is all done in the spirit, the heart, the mind. So in the New Testament, it deals with Intent, Paul says, I'm sorry, but Peter says, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. Then a word nomi refers to the mind in the sense of purpose. And this goes back to really, we'll pick up God's purpose and his mindset and when he created mankind and what he had in plan for, uh, had in store for us. It also means opinion. Noema is also used to denote the mind, especially the thought process. Paul says that Israel's minds were blinded. We talk about that scripture and how the Gentile church was grafted in because their minds were blinded so that they could not understand the Old Testament. The word phronema refers to what one has in the mind. And I think that this is what I really want to hone in on, what you have in the mind, the thought. To be carnally minded is death. So, so for the carnal man, the thought is not so much we have taken the outward sins, those sins of commission, the lying, the cheating, the backbiting, the envy, the murder, and, and we use that. But the problem really is in the mind. And we'll get to some New Testament scriptures, and Paul breaks that down quite a bit. So the more common terms for mind, however, are Noah's and Dionea. They occur about 12 times, and it refers to thinking through or thinking over or something to understand the sentiment which results from that process of reflection, the process of reflection. Peanut had us reflect today, as many of us sat in awe and, and felt the presence of God minister to us. The process of reflection, that mindset, and I think that she got, her, got us off into a great start. And I love that, and it made me think of a scripture that she read in the Message Bible a, a couple of retreats ago when he talked about the unforced rhythms of grace. The unfor it wasn't forced and how you just allow God to just minister in this place. So Paul said that in times past, we all lived according to the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So those are the things that we had already thought over. We, we thought it through. 
We didn't get into our sins without thinking it through. The it just happened. That's what we say. We say that's the all, you know, it, it's just something that happened. Well, what were you thinking? No, I wasn't thinking. It, it just happened. No, your mind thought about it. Sometimes, someplace, it, it could have thought about it 10 years ago, but your flesh finally caught up to what your mind was thinking before. Remember, this body can't do anything that the spirit doesn't animate it to do. So notice is the most prominent term for mind. It occurs 24 times and represents the seed of understanding, the place of knowing and reasoning. It also includes feeling and deciding. Because once you feel something, you got to eventually come to grips of what am I, I going to do with this feeling? How am I going to respond to what I'm feeling? The anger, the wrath, the fear, the hurt, the pain. I've got to decide how to do that. This is all going to transpire in the mind. Hence, it sometimes includes the counsels and purposes of the mind. So the mind is portrayed oftentimes, especially in the New Testament, as the center of a person's ethical nature. It's all that stuff about good and bad. You know, the cartoons used to put the little angel over here and the little red devil on the other shoulder. That goes on in the mind all day long. Your entire life. You're constantly deciphering through information. <laughs> but we have to decipher through that information and make conscious choices all throughout the day. So hence the mind can be evil. It is described as reprobate. You can have a fleshly mind, a vain mind, a corrupt mind, defiled. Now that's what we don't want to have. We don't want a defiled mind. And on the other hand, three gospels command us to love God with all our minds, all your strength, all your soul, all your might. That word soul actually is mind. This is possible because the mind can be revived and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And because God's laws under the new covenant are put into our minds. All right, now let's deal with the power of the mind. Let's get Ephesians 3, verse number 14. When I think of the wisdom and scope of his plan, I fall down on my knees and pray to the father of all the great family of God, some of them already in heaven and some down here on earth, that out of his glorious unlimited resources, he will give you the mighty inner strengthening of his Holy Spirit. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts or your minds, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel Feel and understand. Then he says, as all God's children should. I like that phrase. You should be able to know, to feel and understand as all God's children should. How long, how wide, how deep, how high his love really is. And to experience this love for yourself. Though it is so great that you will never see the end of it fully or fully know or understand it. And so at last you will be filled up with God himself. Paul says here, God's children should know the depth of his love. After all, the greatest act of love ever shown in human history 
was for you and I. How could we not know? There's nothing worse than, than somebody not knowing how much their parent loves them. If they never hear them say it, if they didn't do things that really showed them how much they love it. But God, but God has shown us how much he loves us. And then Paul says, if you don't know this, then, then there's something disconnected in your mind. You should know how much he loves you. But yet in, 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 in the Christian realm, we come across so many people that don't know how much God loves them. They struggle with the fact of God loving them. It's very sad existence, and it shouldn't be. That's why we, we talk so much about God's love, about God's grace, about his mercy, about exactly how much he thinks of his people. Verse number 20, now glory be to God who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we could ever dare to ask or even dream of infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. May he be given glory forever and ever through endless ages because of his master plan of salvation for the church through Jesus Christ. So now he brings in how your mind should feel and understand God's love. Then he says that if you have any imagination at all, God ought to be able to tap into that imagination. My question is, why are our imaginations for God so thin? People love sci-fi movies. I mean, they've, they've created effects to where the audience can sit in awe and say, wow, how could a man think of that? But yet, here we are with the world at our hands. He's given us all things, yet our imaginations are so small. Job 23 and 13 says, but he is in one mind and who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, what God's soul desires, even that he doeth. For he performeth the thing that is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. The Living Bible translation of that says, Nevertheless, his mind concerning me remains unchanged. And who can turn him from his purpose? So from the time before you were born, God had in his mind a plan for you. That plan has never changed. He didn't amend it. Now, some of us have, have started a course, gotten off the course, got back on the course. And to us, it seems like, okay, there's a little change of plan here. But in God's mind, the, the, the plan has always been the same. Whatever he wants to do, he does. So he will do to me all he has planned. And there is more ahead. There's more ahead. Isaiah 46 and 9. He says, remember your history. Remember your history. Your long, rich history. I am God, the only God you've ever had or ever will have. Incomparable, irreplaceable. And we try to compare him. Some of us have even tried to replace him. But he says here, I am God alone. You can't replace me and you can't compare me from the very beginning, telling you what the ending will be all along, letting you in on what is going to happen. 
So he'll let you in on what's going to happen. Remember, we, we dealt, I think we dealt with the scripture about four retreats ago that if we ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you freely. But you can't ask him in doubt and unbelief. So if we haven't gotten counsel from God, then there must be doubt and unbelief somewhere in there. Because he tells us here, if you look over your history, you'll see that I've always been the same. And I'll give you counsel. Assuring you that I'm in this for the long haul and I'll do exactly what I set out to do. He has something set out in his mind. And he says here, if I if I put it in my mind, I'm going to do it. Now, let's pick up Genesis 1 and 1. We're just going to pick up two verses there. And hopefully I could tie this together the way I envisioned it in my mind. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was was without form. And the darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Okay, look at the process here. And this is the first time I've ever ever seen the breakdown of this. Number one, he says, God created That word created deals with mind. It deals with thought intent. He doesn't say that he spoke the world into existence here. He said he created. He hasn't said anything yet. What the earth and the heaven were, were his thoughts. When I talked about the, when he calmed the seas when they were in the ship, Peter said, Lord, care us not that that we perish. And the Greek word, when he says that he rebuked the wind and spoke to the sea, the Greek word for spoke and rebuke actually means that by the time he spoke it, it had already happened. So the the wind and the waves were responding to his thought, not his speech. See, sometimes we want to talk to stuff, but we haven't really thought it through. That's why we're not getting results, because our mind is not in tune with the God that just thinks things into existence. Because we've always been taught that, oh, he had to speak. But he hasn't spoken yet in Genesis. It said in the beginning God created. He didn't say let there be heaven and earth. He said the heaven and the earth were created. That was thought. Next, the Bible says that he moved. So step number two is moving. Now he's in motion. He's acting upon what he's thought. Then he spoke. After he spoke, he saw. He got results from what he saw because he knew that his mind was powerful enough to create it. Then after this, he divided it. He organized it. Then after he organized it, he was able to label it. So John 1 and 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word. That word means expression of thought. The embodiment of a conception or idea, the subject of discourse, or I like this one, a motive. In the beginning was a motive. Or in in the beginning was a concept. So in the beginning, God had a thought, a concept, an idea. 
a plan, a motive. And he says the thought was with God. This word with, it speaks of destination. The word was destined, it was directed toward God. So God had a thought that was directed toward himself. Before you were created, he already had reconciliation in his mind before Adam sinned. In the beginning was a thought, and that thought was directed toward God. We'll pick it up when, when Paul gets it. The thought was with God, and the thought was God. It was about himself. He was thinking of himself when he created anything. Now, if Ephesians tells us that all things were made by him, and what? For him. The reason he was thinking about himself, because everything after that, that he created after that, he would reconcile and, and make for himself. Now, it got messed up in the process, but he already knew what was going to happen, which is why he put redemption in the plan. And we always like to drop down to 14. The word was made flesh. This word deals with the totality of man, not just a physical body, but it deals with the totality of man when we talk about mind, soul, and spirit. It means the complete person. So what he's telling us here is that the thought or the motive was given substance and made complete in a man. Now, that's God's mind. Now, now you, you look at that and go, wow, that's some deep stuff. Only God can do that. I mean, he, he just thought it into existence. Then he did all of these things. But what did he say about man? When he created man, he says he, he made man in his image and after his likeness. Now, if we go to Genesis 1, there's only the spirit of God moving. You've got the earth you got some animals, you got the fish, you got the, the sea creatures, you got all them. But he says, with man, I've created you in my image and after my likeness. What image is there to make if you're invisible? He created a, a, a visible man of substance, but he created him in the image of God. But God didn't have an image. You couldn't see him at that time. So what is he talking about? Image means a phantom or a resemblance, a representative figure, especially an idol. We talk about that with uh, Israel. The word likeness means model, shape, fashion, or manner or similitude. So the only likeness that Adam could have adopted from God or from Elohim, at that, as you would have it, because Elohim is plural, was a spiritual likeness. There's, it's twofold, because I'll, I'll get to another point in just one second. But the exact spiritual nature from God is what he gave Adam. In fact, the spirit that he gave him was the divine mind that we just read about in Genesis 1 through 5. The mind that was able to create and then act upon what he created. We act and then we try to think. That's the problem. He created this intellect of ours to devise plans. Look, look, look where we are in 2012, the technology. The, the, we've gone into space. Now they, they, it just came out, I think, a little while ago that they've only explored maybe two, 
two, three, five percent of, of space. It's blowing their minds with that. So imagine what God has, but that which he created, he put in you. He put in me. He put the same power. Now we're sitting here going, but think about that. Now we, we say we have the power to change the world. This is how the apostles turned the world upside down. They tapped into this mind of God. They, they realized that we, we can't do nothing without him because he already told us about the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Ghost has come, he'll, he'll show you all these things. For without me, you can do nothing. So if nothing is our result, then we must be doing it without God because anything that God does, he gets results out of. So Adam, when he says... He created Adam in the image of God after his likeness. So Adam was actually modeled not only after God in the spiritual sense, but in the physical realm, he was also modeled after Jesus. 6,000 years before Jesus is born, Adam gets the same body that Jesus gets. Jesus wasn't born in the image of God. He wasn't created in the image. He took on the likeness of sinful flesh. That's different than the image that Adam was created with. So Adam didn't take on your image. I mean, Jesus didn't take on Adam's image. Adam took on Jesus's image. So the body, the hands, the feet, that's what God had in mind for his savior. And said, "Okay, now I'm going to make a man just like that. And then 6,000 years, I'm not going to make a second Adam because we like to say the second Adam. It was Paul says it's the last Adam. There's only going to be two Adams. He was the last one because the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So he flipped that whole thing around. But this is God's mindset. This is his plan. So Adam had perfect communion with God until he disobeyed God. Sin entered the picture through his disobedience. And it was at this point that God's mind and Adam's mind fell out of sync. Up until that point, they were in perfect sync. The Bible says that God came down and they, he communed with Adam in the cool of the spirit or the ruach of the day. And these minds begin to drift further and further apart after Adam sinned until God had to make this statement concerning man's mind. Genesis 6 and 5. Now, we don't know the time frame of how long Adam was in the garden, how long he communed with God before he disobeyed God. But when you look at it in the scope of the scriptures, it must it must have been fairly soon because we just five chapters later. <laughs> we couldn't even get a whole book of communion. <laughs> we only got a few chapters, actually one or two chapters. But in six and five, he says, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that Listen to the wording of this, that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, we got to slowly break this, this phrase down. The imagination of the thoughts of his heart. So it wasn't just the heart that was the problem. It wasn't just the thoughts that were the problem. And it wasn't just the imagination. See, sometimes we compartmentalize these, these few little things and say, okay, I'm having evil thoughts. But the hearts, the thoughts, and the imagination, these all speak to different things. 
So here we can surmise that our hearts or our minds have thoughts and our thoughts have imagination. And this supports the process that we just brought out in Genesis 1. How God created, moved, spoke, saw, divided or organized it and labeled or made declarations. So here we can see how with the wrong mindset, we could cause things to manifest in our lives that don't line up with God's mind. So imagination, yester, which is a word we talked about in the definition, it means a form or a conception, or it means a purpose. The imagination, every imagination of the thought of man's heart, the purpose, the things that they purposed in their hearts, the things that they put purpose on in their hearts was evil. Not only evil, but he said it was only evil. That means there was no mixture of good in it. The thoughts in here, he means to contrive or devise a plan through trickery and cunningness. If you're not careful, you know your mind could be very cunning. How soon your mind will run to, to an evil thought. A, a, a crazy plan or, or, or plot. And just talking early, Lord, you know, be angry and sin not. Now, where does this draw the line? Because, you know, pretty soon my mind's going to start having evil imaginations and thoughts. I'm going to start doing some trickery in my mind of how I'm going to get even with you. And the heart means feelings or intellect. So if we put that together, the purpose of our trickery and our cunning craft was housing our intellect. And before you knew it, that's all that you were thinking about. No wonder Paul says whatsoever things are pure, just of good report, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are honest. These are the things that we should have in our minds because the mind can play some terrible tricks on you. And we're already born out of sync with God's mindset. So we got a tough job once the Holy Ghost comes to even really embrace God's mindset. It's a job. The wickedness of man was great. Adam Clark says they were fresh, holy, sensual, the desires of the mind overwhelmed and lost in the desires of the flesh. Their souls no longer discerning their high destiny but ever minding earthly things so that they were centralized, brutalized, and become flesh incarnated so as not to retain God in their knowledge and they lived seeking their portion in this life. They were in a state of wickedness. All was corrupt within and all unrighteous without. Neither the science nor practice of religion existed. Piety was gone and every form of sound words had disappeared. The wickedness was great. All the imaginations of their thoughts were evil, the very first embryo of every idea, the figment of every thought, the very materials out of which perception, conception, and ideas were formed were all evil. The fountain which produced them with every thought, purpose, wish, desire, and motive was incurably poisoned. All these were evil without any mixture of good. The Spirit of God which strove with them was continually resisted so that the evil had its sovereign sway. 
So here God is having a tug of war with the thoughts of man. He's, he's got a rope between you and him, and you guys are playing tug of war. This is what happened with man. They were evil continually. There was no interval of good, no moment allowed for serious reflection, no holy purpose, no righteous act. What a finished picture of a fallen soul. Such a picture is God alone who searches the heart and tries the spirit could possibly give. To complete the whole, God represents himself as repenting because he had made them and as grieved at the heart because of their iniquities. Had not these been voluntary transgressions, crimes which they might have avoided had they not grieved and quenched the spirit of God could he speak of them in any manner as he does here so increased is the most holy and the most merciful God that he is determined to destroy the work of his hands and the Lord said I will destroy man whom I have created how great must the evil have been and how provoking the transgressions which obliged the most compassionate God for the vindication of his own glory to form this awful purpose. Fools make a mock at sin, but none except fools. So Paul picks this up in Ephesians. Two and one, he says, once you were under God's curse, doomed forever your sins. You went along with the crowd and were just like all the others, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air, who is at work right now in the hearts of those who are against the Lord. All of us used to be just as they were, or, or just as they are, our lives expressing the evil within us, doing every wicked thing that our passions or our evil thoughts might lead us into. We started out bad, being born with evil natures, and we're under God's anger just like everyone else. Now, we talk about people who are enemies of God. And we look through the Bible and we talk about the, uh, the Philistines and all of these people coming against God's people. And none of us, even before we got saved, would say, oh, well, I was God's enemy. We, we really don't believe that. Because most of us say, oh, you know, we went to church. I mean, we went about, you know, being saved or being serious about God. But I didn't hate God. I wasn't his enemy. I wasn't really against the man. But you were against him. And until you see that your mind was God's enemy, then you never really know what this whole grace thing, this whole fellowship thing, what this reconciliation thing is all about. Because you, you really don't think that you are what God says you are. So the Holy Ghost is the only remedy for an evil mind. This is why the Holy Ghost is so paramount. The impartation of the Holy Ghost was the reason Jesus was manifested in the flesh. The Holy Ghost is the mind of God in you. There's no other way to get God's mind outside of receiving the Holy Ghost. This is why there's such a fight against the Holy Ghost. So we can all, a lot of people like to quote, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But you really can't have that mind in you without the Holy Ghost indwelling your soul. So Romans 8 says. In verse number 26, and in the same way, by our faith, the Holy Spirit helps us with our daily problems and in our praying. What helps us? The Holy Ghost. That means if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you don't have much help. 
And if you do have the Holy Ghost, but you're relying on your own understanding, you're, you're, you're voiding your help. For we don't even know what we should pray for, nor how to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with such feeling. There's that word again, feeling that it cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying as he pleads for us in harmony with God's own will. And she talked about will earlier. How do you, how, we, we should know God's will. Paul said we have the mind of Christ. We don't act like it sometimes. We're running around like we just confused as, as all get out. I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea how to fix it. I, I have no idea where to go. But he says here that we should know these things. That was his prayer that you, God's children should know this. But I think, I think that it, it's going to take a dismantling of our old thinking. That's where we get into Romans 12 in a minute. And the Father who knows all hearts, of course, what is the Spirit saying as he pleads for us in harmony with God's own will? And we know all that is happening to us works for our good if we love God and are fitting into his plans. Now, we can't get to verse 28 without getting through 26 and 27. It's the Holy Ghost working in you, praying for you. Not just you praying for yourself, you've got to let the Holy Ghost in you pray for you. Because your prayer might hit and miss God's will. But the Holy Ghost's prayer will always be dead on point. He works right in sync with God's will. Because Jesus said that the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. They're like, they're not my own words. They, they are the words of the Father. When the Holy Ghost comes, he's not going to testify of himself. He's going to testify of me. He's going to tell you what God wants to do in your life. So I'm praying for myself, but, but I'm praying in the flesh. I'm praying with my own understanding. I'm praying with my own mindset. I'm praying like Adam was praying after the fall. I need to get in sync. How, how, I don't want to be like Adam. I want, I want to get back in sync and then commune with God. Then we can get to 28 and we know that all that happens to us is working for our good. Now, he didn't say that everything that happens is for your good. He said all things work together. That means that if all those, we, thought, we talked about these bad things that happened to us today. Those that have been abandoned by fathers and mothers and uh, mothers that don't want their children and uh, fathers that abuse their children. And he said that, that wasn't for your good. But God knows how to couple something with that experience in order to make it for your good. Where, did, where sin did abound, grace comes and overrides that. That's why he says... If your imagination could just think that I can get over this. Some people don't get over stuff because they, they can't imagine getting over it. Their mind is, is wrong. He said, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. You, you're not thinking it. 
You've got to be like God in Genesis 1 and create the imagination in your mind. And then move toward the will of God. The word was with God. It was directed toward him. Your your imagination has to be directed toward him. We're directing our imagination back to the problem. See, God can heal us if we can imagine and see ourselves being healed. But these experiences in life have a way to affect the spirit of us in such a manner that it kills our hope. And without, you can't have faith without hope. These things work together. And without faith, you, you, you have no connection to God. You won't go boldly to the throne of grace because you're not going to believe that he hears you. She said she was driving in the car. She couldn't even pray because I, I don't believe God's going to answer the prayer. These are the corners that God, it, it happened in our mind. We allowed the enemy to, to, to plant a, a cancerous tumor in the thinking of our mind toward God and it began to grow. And it affected every area of our life. And the enemy is sitting back saying, see, I dropped that seed. But that's the seed that God's going to pluck up. If we can have enough audacity to think or imagine that God can pluck it up. He doesn't take stuff. He, 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 we sacrifice things to him. We lay it at his feet. So Romans 11 and 33 says, Oh, what a wonderful God we have. How great are his wisdom and knowledge and riches. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his methods. For who among us can know the mind of the Lord? Who knows enough to be his counselor and guide? And who could ever offer the Lord enough to induce him to act? For everything comes from God alone. Everything lives by his power and everything is for his glory. To him be glory forevermore. Now he says here, who can know the mind of the Lord? And who can be his counselor? And who can ever offer to the Lord enough to induce the act? Paul just told you the Holy Ghost is the only one that can know the mind of the Lord. The Holy Ghost is the only one that that can be the Lord's counselor. Because a counselor tells you what it, it opens up problems and areas of communication. The Holy Ghost is our communication to God. He's our mediator. He's going to God, bringing your feelings to God. Then he brings God's feelings back to you. Some of us are so involved in our own feelings that we're, we're caught up and we lose all sense. And by the time the Holy Ghost brings God's feeling back, we all fell out over our own feelings. But the Holy Ghost is saying here, wait, I, I, I got an answer for you. I, I told God how you feel. Now, will you just let me tell you how God feels? But we were caught up in our feelings. And it's easy to sit here and say, well, okay, you got you to gotta give the Holy Ghost time to speak and everything. You can't be so caught up. Because when stress hits you, it hits you like a ton of bricks. By no means am I saying this stuff is easy. This is difficult. But this is, this is the, the key to a lot of chains being broken in our lives. A lot of hurts being healed. 
The key is in the mindset and us being able to adopt God's mindset. He continues this thought from, from verse number 35, 36 into chapter 12. But before we go and continue chapter 12, let's bounce over to 2 Corinthians 2. Verse number 14, but the man who isn't a Christian can't understand and can't accept these thoughts from God, which the Holy Spirit teaches us. They sound foolish to him because only those who have the Holy Spirit within them can understand what the Holy Spirit means. Others just can't take it in. But the spiritual man has insight into everything, and that bothers and baffles the man of the world who can't understand him at all. I'm sorry, did Paul just say that we, we have what? The spiritual man, verse number 15 of 1 Corinthians 2. Oh, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. <laughs> 2 and 14. But the man who isn't a Christian can't understand, and this is the Living Bible translation, he can't understand and can't accept these thoughts from God, which the Holy Spirit teaches us. They sound foolish to him because only those who have the Holy Spirit within them can understand what the Holy Spirit means. Others just can't take it in. But the spiritual man has insight into everything, and that bothers and baffles the man of the world who can't understand him at all. How could he? For certainly he has never been one to know the Lord's thoughts or to discuss them with him or to move the hands of God by prayer. Here's the key. But as strange as it seems, we Christians actually do have within us a portion of the very thoughts and the mind of Christ. The King James says, but we have the mind of Christ. Flat out. We, we have it. You have it. When did you get it? When you got the Holy Ghost. What, what is that? What is that like? To have the mind of the Messiah. To have the mind of the incarnate God. And I like the fact that he says the mind of Christ and not the mind of God. Not that there are two, but the mind of Christ means that God acting on behalf of mankind. That brings in our ministry. We have the mind of Christ that is able to affect our world. He's not just dealing with God creating a, a world with without form and void. He's talking about a world that's already there. When Christ came, the world was already in order in chaotic condition. The mind of Christ is how am I going to affect now this lost world? We have the mind of Christ. No wonder they turn the world upside down. Because they continued what Christ came to do. Christ's mission in Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to open up the blinded eyes, to, to feed the homeless, to visit the motherless, and all these things. That's what the anointing does. The anointing doesn't make you feel shaken and all that stuff. The, the anointing causes you to affect your world, to where the atmosphere changes, to where what was there before is something totally different now. That means that when you think, things should change. Because in the beginning, God created. Are you created in, in the image and after the likeness of God? 
This is why the apostles didn't hem and haw and complain about, Lord, we don't have the resources. We need to take up collection. We they created because they had the mind of Christ. Brother, silver and gold, I don't have any of that, but I, I got some power that'll make you walk to where you could go find some silver and gold. Got the mind of Christ. Now let's go back to our, our original thought, back to Romans. Well, we're going to pick up in verse 12, chapter 1. And he's, he's continuing now from everything lives by his power and everything is for his glory to God. Be glory forevermore. Then in verse number 1, he says in 12, And so, dear brothers, this is Romans 12, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice, holy, the kind he can accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. And Pina did a beautiful job earlier of talking about how the world will cause you to think and try to solve your own problems. The way of the world is man up, don't cry. That's the world. It's not God. I was talking to a, to a brother that lost his father and uh, I was texting him every day and calling whenever I could. I said, how you doing? He said, oh, I'm all right. I said, well, how's the family? He said, well, you know, I got to be the strong one. I said, no, nobody told you that. I said, don't, don't, don't sit here and miss your grieving season because you trying to be strong. Somebody, just know that you, we're as a family, we're going to mourn this loss. It's good to have somebody that you can mourn something with. There's some things you're going to have to mourn alone, but it's also good to have somebody that you can mourn something with. When I lost my sister, I was glad that I had somebody with me to mourn that loss. When I lost my mother, I had somebody with me to go through that process. So he says, don't copy their behaviors and customs, but be a new and different person with a fresh newness in all you do and think. Sometimes we do things differently, but we don't think about our world differently. We don't think about, even in, in, in interpersonal relationships, we change a behavior, but our thought toward that person hasn't changed. That's why you could come and you could put on the mask and y'all could look like y'all got a harmonious little relationship. Your marriage is wonderful. It looks good. When you come amongst the saints, you look so happy. But your mind at, at the house, <laughs> and we talked to, talk to a lot of, we've always been close with the young, younger crowd, with the young people, because we listen to them. They'll tell you, uh, we, we know whose houses are in disarray. Because the children, they, they talk amongst each other. They can sit back and say, what they shouting for? Mom and daddy just be fighting like cats and dogs at home. Now, and they want to come, now they holy. The kids know. So there's somebody that knows what we're really going through. But, but ultimately, God knows. And, and what's the purpose of all of that? That's you conforming to this world. That, that's your mind saying, you know, Lord, I, I know what's right for, for me. I know what I need to be doing. I know I shouldn't be fronting, but I'm going to do it anyway. 
That's a terrible place to be. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. See, we want to be satisfied. With, be with the, we want to be filled with God. We want to be satisfied in God. <laughs> but he says this can't happen until you take on a new mind. So verse number three, as God's messenger, I give each of you God's warning. Be honest in your estimate of yourselves, measuring your value by how much faith God has given you. The King James says that I, I, I beseech you now to let no man think more highly than he ought to. In other words, don't get your big head. Because <laughs> in the end, you're nothing without God. Let's get Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 and 8. Here's the problem. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I have thoughts. You have thoughts. You claim to be my child. You claim to, to be carrying out my mission. You claim to be my servant. You, you're going forth in the name of the Lord. He said, but your thoughts are not congealing with mine. We got a problem here. So the problem is not in our actions, but in the source of our actions. Our minds. Colossians 1 and 21 tells us that we were enemies of God in our mind he pinpoints where where the the animosity took place it was in the mind you can't say that i'm not saved because i do a certain thing certainly that that there there are things that are not becoming of god's will in your life but those are not the things that really send us to hell it's what we do with our cognitive thoughts about christ that's why Christ came and said, who do men say that I am? Well, who do you say that I am? What do you think? He was, he was constantly probing their thought. Well, well, you know, Peter, what do you think about this? God asked them questions. <laughs> what would you have of this Jesus? And he asked those along the way, what, what do you want from me? He knew what they want. He's almighty God. He already knew their thoughts. But they were waiting for the confession. Lord, I got a son. Oh, Lord, I got this problem. Oh, Lord, I got that problem. All right, 2 Corinthians 5. And there's a word that, that I'm going to pick up in this one that we usually probably overlooked. Just, just one word. It's very powerful. It's a big word, huge. I'm surprised I could even pronounce it. Verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things. That, that's a big word, all. Now, the, the word, and I learned about this word all, like when I first opened up a, a, a Greek dictionary, long, long, long time ago, in high school. The word all doesn't mean just all as a totality, but it makes up all of the subparts of all of the group. 
So if I say all of us in here, I wouldn't just talk about your body. I'd be talking about your body, your brain, your ears, your eyeballs, your everything that makes you up. That's what the word all means in the New Testament. So it says all things have become new. So we've got to now learn how to dig deep into some things so we can look into the all. What do we want to become new? All things have become new. The world that they preached to became an entire new world because they had the mind of Christ. If we claim to be new creatures, but there's nothing around us that changed, how do we really validate our newness? Other than us saying, I'm, I'm born again. I got the Holy Ghost. I got the Holy Ghost on September 15, 1953. At 1.05 on the left side of the church. But the household stayed in disarray. You couldn't keep friends. Everything you, you, you put your hand to just turned to, to a bunch of mess. You're known for being evil, messy. But you got the Holy Ghost in 1953. What is this all for? For us to make dis, just disclaimers? Now we, li we like the labels. And, and God doesn't mind the labels because he find the label was the last step of the process. Not the beginning. The beginning was God created. Then he moved. Then he spoke. Then he saw. Then he organized. So we don't, we don't want to organize. So now you mean, Lord, I've now, I've now got to compartmentalize and get things straight in my life. And then finally he started labeling things. Now he said, okay, let this be called light. Let that be called the sun. That we want to start naming things in our life, but we, we haven't even started it with step one or two. So we label it. I, Save, sanctify, fill with the Holy Ghost on fire for Jesus. All things are become new and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. And in last scripture, Colossians 1, verse number 9. Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will. And so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you will live well for the master, making him proud as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We want to work, but we really haven't given much mind and sat with and let, let the Holy Ghost pray for us and let the Holy Ghost give us God's mind on how we ought to do that work. This is why it's dangerous when folk get in there. All right, you're saved now. All right, just get in there and do something. Do anything. No, 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 don't do anything. You get in there and mess stuff up. You better sit and let the Holy Ghost show you how God's mind's mind works in your life and how to implement your gift in the body of Christ. Otherwise, we'll have what we talked about earlier today, a cookie cutter. Everything looks the same. God is into building custom homes. He don't deal with these neighborhoods where all the houses look the same. 
And the only thing different is the address. The floor plan is the same. The colors are the same. The roof looked the same. Sometimes they, in, they invert the plan and they put the kitchen on the left side of the house instead of the right side of the house. He, he builds custom homes. He, he's building houses. He's building saints for his purpose. Matthew wasn't like Peter. Peter wasn't like Bartholomew. Paul wasn't like James. They were different. In fact, they had, they had disagreements. They had heated discussions. In fact, Paul called Peter a bigot and a hypocrite. But at the same time, they realized, okay, we're going to have to work this thing out because we're claiming to be on the same team. When we think about the Godhead and we think about the three components that make up the Godhead and how they, in their own offices and purposes, come to unite together to present us one God, not three gods, but it, it presents to us one God. And if there's any confusion, then we will start to mix up. Oh, well, the Father, the, now the Son said, but the Holy Spirit is a different person, right? So here we are centuries later, and some are confused because they, they've kind of let their own thinking get in there and mess, mess up what God meant to unite together in us to give us one God showing us three aspects. He does it just, it's the same thing as us. There are many members, but there's just one body. There are many gifts, but it's all the same Holy Ghost. Now, our, our goal should be, okay, Lord, where has my thinking been wrong? Not that we don't have any right thinking. I would like to think that we, we you know, I'm not one that thinks that all is going to hell in the handbasket. But where can we look into the areas of our lives and improve our thought patterns, our minds? Where, where am I, Lord, conforming instead of being transformed? And that's in all systems, whether it's educational, religious, the societal, the, the politics. Because all of this stuff comes really deep from within the man. We vote for folks that, for, uh, about things we believe in. So we, we've got to look into our minds and say, okay, now I've got to let God's mind minister to me. Because there's some things I want to see happen. But is that God's will? And I think that some don't pray in the spirit enough. Paul brings out there's something to that moaning and not being able to utter the word about the Holy Ghost. Now, the world's not going to understand it. They just think we're a bunch of nuts. That speaking in tongues and that stuff y'all do, that's spooky. But we understand the power of it. And at the same time, there's been reports in the world, that, that report that came out, I guess, a couple of years ago, <clears throat> about when people speak in tongues, it doesn't come from the cognitive part of the brain. In other words, they're not thinking about this thing. This is not something they're, they're consciously making up. This is something that takes part in the part of the brain that doesn't involve thought. The scientists went and found that out. So there's something to, to the Holy Ghost. Give, and, and not only that, but they said that those patients that spoke in tongues, they had more of a genuine joy and peace physically 
than some of the other patients in the study. Now, if he can allow the scientists to go and make that discovery, how much more should we be able to implement this stuff in our lives to get the mind of Christ?